This morning, I'm, how do I want to say this? This has been a heavy week for me. I imagine many of you have had heavy weeks going through this whole experience. This is one of the heaviest I've felt. And honestly, it, it comes down to a few things. The conversations I'm beginning to have with people, but also what we're seeing in, in the news. And it's a lot of ups and downs and a lot of division and a lot of people just saying, I want this, and others saying, I want that. And unfortunately, what happens, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, is last Saturday, Ottawa Public Health put out their guidelines for places of worship. And it shook a lot of churches. We had plans and designs of where we wanted to go, and we had some people very excited about that, and we had some people very upset about what we were doing. And unfortunately, uh, OPH, what they put out, Ottawa Public Health, changed so many of our plans. And so for myself and for the staff, we began to really ask the question of why do we gather? What's the purpose? What's the point? And and the reality of what we came to is we gathered to sing. We gathered to experience a community. And we gathered to be in the presence of God with one another. A shared experience. And the unfortunate truth is that right now the government guidelines don't let us do that. Now, does that mean we should rebel and fight against the government? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that unfortunately we will not be having in-person services, on-site services next week as we had planned. We need to shift and, and change and really focus on why we, the people of Parkway, gather together. And so with that, we're looking at some options that we can come together and sing We're looking at options of how we can come together and pray because that physical unity is a driving force in our worship culture, in our faith culture. But it's been heavy talking this out with people and hearing how divided our community can be. And so two verses have really been guiding me through this season, and I want to share them with you, and then we're going to move into where I want to finish this all-in series. But the two verses are this. Your tongue has the power of life and death. Proverbs 18.21. Your tongue has the power of life and death. Scripture talks about the tongue fairly often, actually how it can be uncontrolled and unbridled and it doesn't take direction like sails do, that it can be a weapon. And so Proverbs 18.21 has guided me for over a year of what is my tongue saying? What is my mouth saying out? Am I using and choosing words to give life or am I taking the words to cause death and break people down? And that leads me to our second verse, which has also guided me mostly in in this COVID season. It says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And this is Psalm 133.1. 
Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And I really believe that's why we gather, to dwell in unity, to be a blessing to each other, to hold each other up, to strengthen each other, to enjoy the presence of God in good company. And so I know this next season is going to be hard for our country and for people of faith. There's talks of a new wave coming, and there's some that fully believe that and and some that don't believe that. There are some that are so fearful to leave their house, and, and they are in a spirit of fear, and we need to be there with them, supporting them. And then we have others that just want to dismiss and, and almost cause anarchy, and, and, and we need to be with those people as well, that we are dwelling in unity, that our tongue is speaking life and not death. That as I spoke last week, that Jesus is the great spirit of life. And that is who has redeemed us, who has paid our debt, and who carries us. That is who we follow and who we learn from. And so while there's so much unknown, this is such a great time of faith and trust. To look at our God, our Savior, and where does he lead us? Where does he guide us? And from all of that, I I have really just been led to finish this series off with what I call the basics of faith. Because I believe those are unifying things, and, and that is where we need to, as a church, both as the corporate church across the world, but also as our local churches, Parkway, that is where we need to be rooted in. What unites us? What draws us together? What draws us to God? And what brings us to a place of worship that we would speak life to the world and speak life to each other, just as life was spoken into us first in creation and then later on as Jesus went into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit and breathed new life in us that we would pour out to the world. Unity brings us to that. And that's the, I believe that's why the church gathers. That we would celebrate in what unifies us. So, let me start with this. In my devotions this week, um, I, I came across this statement by James Bryan Smith. I don't know who he is. He was just the quote found in my devotion this morning, or sorry, this week. And it says this. The way I love others is a direct reflection of how I love myself. Excuse me. If I am ruthless with myself and exact with my judgment and prone to condemn myself, I will be the same towards others. When Jesus said we we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, he was not so much stating a proposition, but a fact. Because we do love our neighbors as ourselves. But does that mean we love ourselves? Does that mean we give forgiveness to ourselves? Does that mean we allow the love of God to work in our lives? He goes on to say, As I began to feel loved, I began reaching out to others in love. As I learned to believe that I was chosen, I found myself wanting to tell everyone that they were chosen too. 
And I truly believe that's what the Holy Spirit does in us. It changes our selfish heart, which would draw all things to us and and causes us to push things out and give all things to God and to care for his creation, which includes humanity and, and the trees and the world and everything that we are redeeming the creation that sin has polluted. And we're doing that by the guidance and the leadership of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and, and, and by God the Father. The sad history of Christian faith is really one of division, though. Like, over and over and over, if you read Christian history, it, it, it can be depressing and saddening because we have found ways to disagree with each other, and then we fight for ways to prove that we are right, and we've seen wars and executions and excommunications all done in the name of Jesus. Yet... Yet, we see here in Mark, which we're going to read, that Jesus was about unity and not disunity. And I think that right now in this time, as we are relearning in some ways what it means to follow Jesus, the best way to do that is to just listen to Jesus. And so Mark Chapter 12, verses 18 to 34 says this. And Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. Now, the Sadducees were um, just like the Pharisees, they were uh, another devout group of believers, uh, of Jews. They were um, priests and scribes, and, and they did not believe that there was a resurrection. They didn't believe in what Jesus was teaching. So, and the Sadducees came to him who say that there's no resurrection, and they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. First, uh, the first took a wife, and when he died, he left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died. And the resurrection, when they rise again, who will she be? Whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. And Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you're wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read the book of Moses in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You were quite wrong. And then one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he, being Jesus, answered them well, asked them, Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus said, This is the most important. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, There's no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself 
is much more than whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. What I find interesting uh, about this passage is that it starts off with people trying to trick Jesus into division. They're looking for a way to separate themselves, that they are right and that someone else is wrong, because the Sadducees and the Pharisees were not uh, an aligned group. They were two sets of believers and followers of Judaism. And so as one who didn't, uh, the Sadducees as a group who didn't believe in the resurrection, the Pharisees did, they're coming here to tempt and trick Jesus into tripping him, him up. And Jesus' response completely negates their question where it's like, what are you talking about? That wasn't the point. That wasn't the purpose. You're talking about death, and yet we believe in a living God. Your, your point here doesn't matter or hold relevance, but it's something you've staked your life on, your, your, your faith system on. And he's like, it doesn't matter because we believe, believe in a God who lives and who is constantly changing and growing and teaching. And so someone else comes in and, and says, well, then what's the greatest commandment? If there's all these rules of Moses, because the, the Sadducees originally quoted Moses' law, the book of Moses, uh, which was given long ago, and that's what they built their faith system off. They're like, Moses says here, and he got that from God, so if, if that's there and it's not relevant, what actually is? And Jesus names two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, meaning your entire being. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself, which really brings me back to what I read in my devotion. If I don't love myself, I'm going to have a real hard time loving my neighbor. And if I don't love myself, have I really given my all to God? Because our God is continually one of redemption and creation. One who forgives, who calls us to repent, to come and, and give up our darkness, give up our sin, give up our temptation, the, the wrongs that we've done in our life that we like to hoard and bring unto ourselves that would cause our division because we say, you can't be with me because yours is done differently or yours is wrong or whatnot. And, and this God brings it all together, says, give it to me. I am the unifying factor. I will give you new life and, and, and bring you up. And, and then we see that once I am in that position and understanding of healing, and, and freshness and freedom because I've followed the first commandment of loving the Lord my God with my heart and soul and mind and strength so the entirety of my being which has then been changed I would then go and love my neighbor which would be much easier at this point because I already know I love myself and have respect for myself because I am a child of God adopted by God and brought into that family these are all unifying factors that bring people together, not separate them or push them apart. I find it interesting that there's no specifics in actual practice that Jesus gives here. Faith practice is just love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. These are your 
faculties, your, your body, what you have control over. There's no this prayer, this song, this psalm, the, this scripture, this building, this time, this place. It is with your being, who you are. And with that, you continue to pour out into your neighbor. And this is what I really believe, the founda- this foundation is what I really believe that we need to build our church on. The surrender, this freedom, this new life, this building of the body. Because while we will disagree on expressions of faith and worship, and while we certainly will dispute each other on understandings of Scripture or the theologies we create from it, the root, the core that we need to stand on needs to always be grounded in these two commandments. We love the Lord God with the entirety of our being, and we love our neighbor as ourself which in turn means we need to love ourselves. So this morning, I want to go through five basics of faith that I believe Parkway should be built on. And and these are really unifying beliefs that I, I believe will draw us closer to God and bring us closer as a family. And so the first one is this, prayer. Simply prayer. That we are looking to bring ourself heart, mind, soul, body, bringing ourselves to God. Now, this quote is from someone unknown, but it, it, it strikes at the heart of this and said, once a man was asked, what did you gain by regularly praying to God? What did you gain by your regular prayer? And the man replied, nothing. But let me tell you what I lost. Anger, Greed, insecurity, and fear. Sometimes the answer to our prayers is not gaining, but losing, which ultimately is the gain. Sometimes the answer to our prayers is not gaining, but losing, which ultimately is the gain. We believe that Jesus died on a cross, that he lost his life, that we might gain salvation. Sometimes losing is the greater gain. So our position in prayer is what guides us to the heart of God, or it drives us away from him by having us sit in our own desires. So let me ask these questions. What brings you to prayer? What brings you to prayer? What brings you to a point of seeking out God and talking to him? Is it a relationship with him or is it a laundry list? And I know that statement's been beaten over and over again. Are we just bringing things to God like Santa or some magical slot machine, a unicorn, whatever, that we're just like, hey, here's my stuff. Can you you do something with it? But if we're just bringing heart, mind, soul, strength, if we're bringing our entirety to God, we are looking to gain him to gain God in our life. The second question is, why are you praying? There's a what brings you to that moment of prayer, and I I think that that is an interesting one because a lot of times fear or desperation can bring us to prayer versus um, growing our faith versus building uh, ourselves or looking to build the kingdom of God. But then once you actually get to that point of prayer, that something has brought you to it, why do you continue? 
Not as a one-time event, but as a continual practice. And I believe Scripture continually tells us that the why in our prayer is that it continually changes us. If we want to know the heart of God, if we want to be shaped by God, if we want to be changed by God, we need to continually come and spend time with Him. And while being in a corporate worship service is a beautiful thing, it isn't the only direction or the only way to get to God. If anything, this corporate experience will continually change after generation after generation after generation. But what doesn't change through all those generations is that time spent in prayer. The why. Why am I here? I'm here to spend time with God. I'm here to hear the heart of God. I'm here to be changed by God. We come to another what in my third question of what are you expecting to get from that experience? What brings you to it? Why do you stay? And then what's your expectation? I think that expectation question actually comes maybe later in our faith journey because we, we get caught in routine too often and repetition and we fail to keep an expectation that God will deliver, God will show up, that God is working and moving. And finally, how much time or preparation do you put into prayer? This thought really struck me. How much time and preparation do you put into prayer? And I know I am guilty of just showing up as a last moment. We should do it. Let's throw up some words into the air and hope they catch. And it really challenged me as the Spirit put this question on my heart of how much do I prepare for prayer? Do I have a place set aside? Do I have time put apart regularly? Or is it the offhand thing I do before a meal, before bed, before I go on a long trip? If I want to be unified to the heart of God and to the body of God, I need to take time with prayer and make it intentional. I need to prepare for it that I read scripture of an understanding of what God has already spoken. I need to listen uh, both to God and to other people praying to hear how God is speaking through them. I need to set a regular time that this is not just something I threw together, but this is my practice. This is my faith. This is my God. There's a real ownership in it there when it says I continue to do that, that I train in it and I get stronger in it. Too often Christians are afraid to pray because we're uncomfortable with it. We haven't practiced it. We haven't strengthened the muscle of it. it, it Paul is great in his description that we run the, face, or run the race of faith, that we must prepare our bodies and, and train them to be a part of it because it's a, an endurance, not just a, a one-time sprint. And in prayer, we need to be able to do that and be a part of that that we can become better at prayer the more we do it, the more we train it. And the best way to do that is in the presence of God and by setting time for it. 
So to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is best expressed in times of prayer where we set our attention and our focus on God. I believe that is a foundation, that is a basic of faith. And I believe it's something that we can be unified in. Prayer doesn't separate us, it brings us together because we're seeking the same God, the same Savior. The the second basic of faith that I I believe is unifying and, and foundational is the Trinity. Richard Rohr is a, a father, we'll call him Father Richard Rohr, um, so he's a priest and he runs a retreat center, uh, kind of like a, a newer monastic expression, and, and he says this, we are already in the presence of God. What's missing is awareness. We are already in the presence of God. What's missing is awareness. And I link this to the Trinity because in verse 29 of Mark chapter 12, it says, we find Jesus quoting Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 to 5, which says, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. I believe this to mean that we pray to the Father through the Holy Spirit In Jesus' name. We pray to the Father, through the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. We're already in the presence of God because we are his creation. This world is his creation. We need to find an awareness to know that he's there. And God has created multiple ways for us to do that. He has given us scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit, recounting the actions of Jesus, which is God on earth. He sent his son. He came to earth in person that we might learn from his example. He spoke in the Old Testament through the prophets and to the priests and gave us the the Ten Commandments and the laws of Moses to guide us. Then we have Jesus and his life and his continued teachings and example of our New Testament. And finally, we have the Holy Spirit that Jesus said would come and dwell within us and continue to guide us to God and lead God through us. I believe that we pray to the Father through the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. There's a trinity, and that is complex and complicated yet simple. While there is so much that we don't understand about God, and we, and we confuse ourselves with theories of God three in one, and how this might differ from the other gods that humanity has created, we are called to hold to the simple truth that the Lord God is one. Do we understand them? Not always. Are we exper- able to experience them? Absolutely the understanding of the Christians that we believe in the Trinity, and that truth unifies us. That this is our God. We can describe who we are talking to, who we are praying to, who we are coming to. So our two basics so far are our prayer and Trinity. Our third is this, Jesus. Jesus is the core distinction of Christianity. It's what sets us apart because we believe that Jesus was God on earth. 
that he lived, he died, he lived again, and will be back. That our God is not dead, but is continually alive. A.W. Tozer, who is a great theologian, says this, the only safe place for a sheep is by the side of his shepherd, because the devil does not fear sheep. He just fears the shepherd. We are not able to change our sinful nature, and we are not able to stand up to the enemy with any authority. But in Jesus, with Jesus, everything changes. Your story completely changes. And that's a good and healthy and holy thing. He is our teacher, our brother, the long-awaited Messiah. He is the one that changed your story. Our faith, our adoption, our connection with the Son of God changes everything. Our uniting factors that we believe the following. Jesus was God on earth. Jesus was born from a virgin mother. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus died on a cross. Jesus rose from the grave three days after his death. Jesus defeated death. Jesus paid a price that we could not. Jesus holds no debt over us. Jesus acted and continues to act in love. Jesus is in heaven, returned to unity with God the Father, and Jesus will come again. That's the undisputed truth of the church. That's what brings us together, that we would worship the Son of God, God on earth, that we believe our salvation, our change, comes through him. That we pray through him and with him. That he is our teacher. That is the good news. That things have changed, that there is hope, and it is in Jesus. So again, three things that bring us into unity. First, prayer. Second, belief in the Trinity of who our God is, that identity. Third, Jesus and who he is and what he means to our life. And fourth, forgiveness. Matthew 18 says this, Then Peter came up and said to him, and this is him speaking to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times, or 77 times. Forgiveness is the hallmark condition of the Christian. I chose that word condition intentionally. A condition is something that comes upon you, that causes reactions from you. You have symptoms from a condition. And so our condition uh, of faith is forgiveness. That we would be forgiving just as we were forgiven first. That we would reach out into the world to redeem it, letting people know that the wrongs and hurt that they find identity and they can be forgiven from that that can be let go of, that that is not their bondage, that is not what's holding them down. 
I believe we should always leave people better than we find them, that we would hug the hurt, kiss the broken, befriend the lost, and love the lovely, or the loveless, sorry, the lonely. Because forgiveness is what changes the world. It holds no debts, allows people to heal, and it embodies the actions of Jesus. It embodies the actions of Jesus that we see in his life on earth that we find in scripture that he continued to forgive those who would be known by their sin that he would heal and he would do it in acts of forgiveness believing that even physical ailments when forgiveness was placed upon them their life would change and grow We forgive because we're forgiven first. We forgive because this is the gospel, the good news. That what was broken and what we could not fix was mended for us. That the weight that dragged us into darkness was lifted and we can look into the light with hope and expectation rather than fear and hesitation. Because forgiveness changed our story and it continues to change our story. And allows us to change the story of others. Forgiveness heals brokenness. And brokenness by its very nature is a separation. And forgiveness brings us together. There's a Japanese tradition, and I'm not going to try and pronounce the name because I'm horrible at it, but please Google it. It's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. There is a Japanese tradition of taking broken pottery and putting it back together with gold. This highlights the brokenness, the cracks. And it almost becomes a mark of honor and something celebrated in a house where you have this broken pottery, this bowl, this teacup, whatever, and it is now filled with gold lines showing that it has been brought back together that once, what was once broken is now fixed. That was, once was now useless is useful again. The concept of beauty and the broken. And I truly believe that's what forgiveness is. It's why I believe it's such a unifying factor that it's a condition of the Christian. It is something we've learned from the Father that has been performed by Jesus, that it is continually inspired in us by the Holy Spirit. that what is broken can be mended again through love, through Jesus, through forgiveness. It brings us together. And my fifth unifying thing of faith, or basic of faith, foundation of faith, is repentance. Acts 3 says this, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. We turn to God in all things. The reason repentance is number five is because we need to establish how we're getting to God, who God is, what God has done for us, what he's teaching us, and now this is our response that we take everything that we've learned and we see the sin, the darkness, the hurt in our lives, and we are willing to give it all back to God, which really brings us right back 
into that first commandment of what Jesus said, that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we can only do that in repentance, that we take these broken pieces, that we bring it to God in forgiveness, in prayer, trusting that the work of Jesus is healing, shaping, and changing. And we believe that Jesus is part of the Trinity, which is God itself. So we repent to stay out of the darkness. We turn to the light. We bring to God and worship God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that means we give all of ourselves, even the parts we don't like and are ashamed of. And repentance is the word we use to describe the regret for our actions done in sin. I think almost every week I've come back to this, that we are not sinners saved by grace. It's that we were sinners saved by Jesus, which then means that our identity is no longer in our sin. It is in God the Father who has adopted us, brought, him, brought us into his family. But we are still human, and therefore we are, are prone and tempted to sin. And sin is, is so beautiful to us, it is much more like a, a beautiful pink sparkly cupcake than it is a pile of garbage. And, and yet we, we are drawn to the sin which would turn us from God or push us from God. And, and yet in Jesus, we can come in repentance. Meaning we say we see this, that we've done wrong and we know it's wrong and I'm ashamed or I'm embarrassed by it. And we give it to God and he says, that's great. I forgive you, I love you, and I bring you in. Repentance is one of the strongest unifying factors that I know. It's where we can take ownership of what we have done and bring it and find glory to God. That confession uh, of where we have separated ourselves from God allows us to come closer to God, to be more unified with him. And if we are all pushing towards God, that means we are all pushing towards the same thing. It means we are all unified together. So these five things, I believe, build a strong foundation for the church. First, we have prayer. Second, we have the Trinity. Third, we have Jesus. Fourth, we have forgiveness. And fifth, we have repentance. My last thought on this is something I know I have fallen victim to. In parenting, um, or at least in the modern parenting books that I'm reading, there's this term called oppositional parenting. And what it means is that we are just doing everything opposite of what our parents did. We didn't like how we were brought up and raised, and so our parenting style is literally just the opposite of our parents. But unfortunately, it means we aren't choosing how we parent. We're reactive. And I really believe that many of us, myself included, have fallen victim to what I'm calling oppositional faith that we have looked at how others have been hurt by faith, how our parents may have expressed faith in our lives, and we want to do the exact opposite of it. But it means we haven't actually chosen God or chosen how our faith works. We're just reacting. And I believe it's not unifying, but what I do believe is unifying is finding the core beliefs that our church, our faith, has been built on and that we rally to them. 
that it brings us together. So no matter what division may come to us, we know that we are still linked, that we will come together in prayer, that we will come together in the belief that we are praying to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that there's a three-in-one God that, as confusing as that is, it is also all-encompassing, and we know that we can go to the God that we believe in. That we believe in Jesus, that he came, he, he saved us, he changed us, and he did something we couldn't do. That forgiveness is continually taught and something that we can give. And that repentance is something that we can then draw into. A cleaning, a restoration, as we give up the brokenness in our lives. Not that we oppose each other or oppose our traditions, but we come together in the core of what we believe. And I think our church, Parkway Church, will grow when we center and focus on those things. Not what divides us, but what brings us together. As the worship team comes, I ask you to think on this. To be drawn into it, to be creative. Because I believe the Holy Spirit speaks to the people as much as it does the pastors. As we look for ways to unite our church body and unite the community around us, I have to celebrate what one family has already done. They came to us and said, hey, we've seen about 50 different graduate signs around our community. Can we bless them? If we provide gift cards, will you make actual cards and we'll put them on their doors, letting them know that the church sees them and recognizes and celebrates with them? And so on Friday, 50 gift cards to Starbucks went out to celebrate these graduates who are in this weird time and not what they expected, but that doesn't mean we aren't with them and for them. Church, we did an amazing thing with the Big Give this year. We stood with the elders in our community. We stood with maybe the hopeless or homeless with the food bank. And we supported our our local business and honored people who are serving us. Completely different than what we've normally done. And yet you, as the Church of Parkway, rose up. And so I ask you now, as we are in this season of COVID, how can we as the church grow in unity? What can we do? What is God leading you to that would unify us and bring us together that we would come out of this season stronger and more united as the people of God, the children of God, and that we would continue to build the kingdom of God in this community? Take time to reflect as we sing, knowing that the Spirit of God speaks to you, knows you, and loves you. Father, we pray your blessing and your truth over this day. That great is your faithfulness, that you have not left us, you have not forgotten us, you have not abandoned us. That you continue to pursue us and find ways to engage with us. Father, we pray for greater awareness today that we would see you at work, that we would know you in our lives that you are our God. That we know you. 
Guide us and lead us in your name. Amen. Amen. By way of a couple of announcements, um, we have on July 8th a congregational vote happening into the next leader or lead pastor of Parkway Church. A little awkward always when I'm here saying that I'm the candidate, but I encourage you, uh, if you haven't already, today is the last day to put your application in for membership. On our Parkway website, uh, parkwaychurch.ca, under forms and documents, you can find an application there and that needs to be submitted today because there's a board meeting tomorrow night which will um, finalize those applications and approve members. Members are the only ones by our bylaws who are able to vote uh, on Wednesday, July 8th. And so what I, um, I believe everyone should vote. And I'm not saying this as everyone should vote for me. I believe you should have a voice and a vote. I believe that in our, our, our politics, but I believe that in our church as well. If you do not prayerfully believe that I should be the leader of the church, then you should have a voice in that. But if you do prayerfully believe that I should be the next leader, then you should have a voice in that as well. So please take the time uh, to become or at least apply for membership because I believe that is an important unifying part of our church experience. Uh, there's also been a few questions as why we aren't doing this vote in person as it's going to be a digital vote. Why are we not doing it in person with new um, allowances within church buildings? And there's a few reasons that are really guiding us in that. One, uh, we actually can't accommodate everybody. If, if you are immune compromised, I mean myself, I'm asthmatic, so I'm always worried or, or cautious that uh, with COVID going around that any sort of respiratory um, disease will affect me more. If you have diabetes or any other disease um, that might make you immune compromised, coming together actually would be a problem and eliminates people from being able to vote. We also are unable to provide childcare at this time, which means there is no way for families or single parents to necessarily come in and, and be a part of a vote like this because they can't bring their children. And uh, thirdly, just the logistics of it, it makes it fairly complicated. Our board really believes that we should be moving forward in, in this leadership decision, that we aren't just continually waiting, but we can begin to move forward with direction. And as such, uh, we are moving forward with the digital votes on July 8th. So I, I pray and I hope that you are taking time to pray into this, into the next season of Parkway, uh, because you are very much a part of it. The series has been, con been called All In because I am all in at this church. This is where I believe I am called to, but it, it, it's all in in all of us. This is your church as well as mine, and so you need to be a part of that. And so as we've been leading up to the vote, I've been answering questions that you have submitted, and we've had a few new ones this week. And, and the first one's kind of a three-part, and it says, going forward into a different world than we had three months ago, what stays the same about the church? What changes about the church? And what's a positive shift or change you've seen about the church? My answer to all of this is everything. It's the simple truth. Everything has changed and nothing has changed. Everything has stayed the same because the church is <clears throat> excuse me, as every meme or Christian post you'll see on the internet has continued to remind us, it's not about the building, it's about the people. It's about God's kingdom. And while um, I have had a heavy heart this week, there have also been great moments of joy. The excitement in people's voices and faces when you see them again. 
the eagerness to share what is happening in their lives, the conversations that actually go deeper and move beyond the artificial, I'm good. I don't know if you've recognized that, but I've seen that. We are feeling the cry from within our our soul to be in community again, and it has made us more open. And that when someone says, hey, how are you doing? We're not like, I'm good. It's not your typical foyer ministry of where you just raise a cup of coffee, say, yep, See, I had a good week, but it is this more intentional, this is what's going on in my life. This is the hardship. This is the goodness. This is what I've seen. This is how God has spoken to me. And that is a good and healthy change in our church. Our mission as the church has not changed. We, the people of God, are for God and work through God to redeem his creation, period. That is, that is who we are. We, the people of God, are for God and work through God to redeem his creation. No virus, no pandemic, no government sh- sanctions can or will change that because that doesn't require a building. Our w- expressions of worship have changed, but they always have and will continue to. It, 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 so, I, I mean, my generation is already looking at worship and Sunday morning experience and longing for it to be what it was when we were younger, when we came to faith and had our first experience with the Holy Spirit. But this is the same as every generation that has come before us. I might be crying out for old school Hillsong United music, whereas my grandparents are calling out for more hymns. And, and whereas their generation before that was looking for more call and response prayer, and, and the generation coming underneath of me is taking my beautiful Hillsong songs and having other people copy them, and they're a little more techno, and they love it, and that's what they engage in. And while I might not think that's right, and I say this in all jest, it means that our expressions of worship continually change. But as I spoke this morning, prayer does not. That is what unifies us and brings us together, and it's something that we can do more of especially in this time. While we might say, I'll pray for you and do it later, I think what I am starting to see more of is people saying, let's pray now. Can I pray with you now? And that is a good, holy, and healthy thing. The most positive shift I've seen and I prayerfully hope will continue to see going forward is also the generous and caring spirit of the people reaching into the community with the love of Jesus. There are many who are not even Christian, will say, who identify themselves with the church that are feeling compelled to help and care for this world. That is the heart of God just breathing out of his creation. While they may not understand that's what it is, that why they feel compelled to do this, we as the church have a unique opportunity now to say, see this action, this drive, this desire that is pushing you that you, you can't run away from? That is the Spirit of God speaking through you. This is the leadership of Jesus. Let me tell you about the God who created this earth and who's continuing to redeem it, who I know and would love to share and introduce you to that you might know him as well. So what's changed? Everything and nothing. We still have the same ability to care for this world and connect with this world and connect with our God as we had before COVID. How we are currently in 2020, going through or moving through worship experiences is very different. But again, ask your parents, their grandparents, your great-grandparents, look throughout history. We've never done it the same, and I know in the future church will look different again. 
But just because our expression changes, it doesn't mean our God does. And he calls us to certain things that unify us and bring us together as we spoke about today. God is forever the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Now this final question that I'm going to answer is, again, is kind of a two-part, but the first part is this. What has COVID-19 taught you about the church? And I wrote this when I was feeling dark and heavy this week, and, and the word that came to me was division. But then someone reminded me, they're like, while there has been potential for division, we have yet to actually see it within our church. Let me say that again. While there's been potential for division, we have actually yet to see that in our church. And that is a good and healthy and holy thing. What I've heard or what I've learned, we'll say, through COVID-19, a lot of it has been that people have varying opinions and ideas, and we are a broad spectrum. But that is also a good thing, because we can learn from that and see so many different opinions that we can come and make the greatest plan, greatest possible purpose moving forward that our church continues to grow and thrive and, and not just survive this season, but there's something more for us at the end of this because we can see so many different facets. I'm constantly guided by the rabbinic tradition called turn the gem, which is really, if you take any sort of gemstone, it has so many different sides to it. And as you turn it and look at it in the light, you see something different, maybe a new reflection, a, a new um, internal perspective. There's always something different as you turn a gem, and that is what they did with Scripture. And I believe that's what we can continue to do with our church right now. Turn the gem. What can we shape, change? What can make us healthier, holier, and more whole? They, they followed this question is, what can we pray collectively for? And I think this collective prayer is something we just should always be doing. We pray for the unity of Christ's body. That is all the churches together. We pray for the wholeness of the church. That is Parkway, that we would be whole together. We pray for the wisdom of God and we pray for the direction of our church because we are at a pivotal time where we need to define what Parkway is about. If we are about the Sunday service, then we need to rally to it where people are engaged in it, whether it's digitally or physically. If we are about prayer, then we need to come together in prayer, not just in small groups, but as the body engaged in prayer. Again, whether digitally or physically, there are so many ways we can come together in prayer. If we are about the community, then we need to wholeheartedly serve it as the body united together, not in ones or twos, but coming together as the Parkway family. So whatever we do, whatever we are about, we need to do it together in unity. Not causing one another to slip into temptation or sin, but we lift each other up to conquer the sin and temptation that surround us. We are God's people. We are a family. And in all of this, I don't want to lose my family. So thank you for being with us today. Thank you for worshiping with us. Thank you for praying with us. And we will continue to seek that out. Remember, we have the, the congregational vote coming up July 8th. Today is the last day to apply for membership. And remember, if you see a grad in your community, maybe congratulate them. Send them a note or something. Let them know that we see the world around us and we are with them and for them. And that being said, once this ends, there's a, vo a video going to be posted for our graduates. Take a look. Take a laugh. But, uh, Enjoy the world that our Lord has given us. Be I'm blessed. Gonna, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm going to stop you here for a second. Josh. Hi. Josh is going to say some words. So 
the folks at Mosaic have decided that we should make a little poster to kind of share some memories that we have of you and just kind of write a few words as you're leaving because we really appreciate ev everything you've done for us. So I'm going to share a few of them and kind of here, share. Here, yeah. So I will read out one of them here. I was just kind of reading it through now, and it, it kind of made me laugh. One of them says, thank you for answering all the awkward questions. And so it's kind of funny because um, one thing I, I also wrote in my little blurb was that Pastor Nate makes an effort to treat us all like adults, and he just kind of says it straight up. He doesn't baby us. He, he recognizes that we're in high school. We can handle some of the awkward topics that nobody really wants to address. And it, a lot of people find it helpful to just kind of dig right into it and kind of get that out of the way because people, if, if nobody wants to talk about it, where do, we, where do we learn about it? And so Nate recognizes that we need to learn about it in a healthy environment and kind of pushes through and it's, it's, fair, it's great. And um, I, I want to share another one here. It's, Dear Pastor Nate, thank you for helping me explore faith more and leading me through OVPC. OVPC is the summer camp that we go to every year. And it says, keep in touch, though. You're the first pastor I ever really connected with. And I think that speaks volumes about Nate's character and that, like I was mentioning, he really gets into it and he isn't afraid to get to that kind of level. He doesn't, he's not superficial. He's really, he's down, he's, he just, he says it like it is and he tries to get to where you are. He meets you where you are in your own faith, whether that is completely new to it or you're kind of settled but still a little, a, a little bit to talk about. And I just want to thank you for that because no matter what, you're there for people and everybody I've talked to is just more comfortable with you than any pastor they've ever been with. Thank and you. It, it just, it's just amazing. And here, let's read another one. A heartfelt, <laughs> a heartfelt thanks for all of your work with the students and everything you've done for Mosaic. It's just, there's thanks all across the poster. and just, it, You can just see the tremendous effort you've put into this program. And you can see, you've been here five years, and you can, I'm sure it's interesting to see people move up from junior high and then moving on to graduating. And you can, I, I hope you can really see the growth you've put into people's lives. And just know that you have made a difference in many people's lives, and it's appreciated everywhere. So thank you on behalf of Mosaic, and thank, thank you, you from me. Bubbles. There we go. Thank you, Josh and uh, Mosaic. For those of you who don't know, Mosaic is our senior high youth ministry. And um, yeah. Well, before I cry, um, <laughs> we love you and miss you, Parkway. And until we can be again together, uh, know that you are loved. Oh. I'm going to go like read this and cry somewhere else. 